Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Matthew here. Before we get started, I just wanted to plug another podcast I've been working on with Drawing Matter and the Architecture Foundation. It's called Power and Public Space, and it features short conversations with architects, artists, and academics that offer new possibilities for understanding and making public spaces today. Just search for Power and Public Space wherever you're listening to this now, and I hope you like it. Okay, now on to the show. Ah, this way, the other Okay, way. so let's see now <laughs> if it works well. I'm Matthew Blunderfield, and you're listening to Scaffold. It's okay. okay so In this episode, I speak with the architects Ricardo Flores and Eva Pratt. And we have to try to not to overlap. It's well, not talking always well, the other one <laughs> They founded their practice Flores and Pratt's in Barcelona in 1998. It's Although it's really following the completion of the Salah Beckett project in 2016 that they became internationally recognizable. Salah Beckett is this incredible conversion of a former workers' co-op in Barcelona into a new drama center, retaining, adapting, and adjusting much of the existing building in ways that are surprising and even surreal. Doors, windows, and stairs change colors as they migrate from one place to another, and layers of old colors, patterns, and materials merge seamlessly with new interventions so that the building becomes this kind of vortex of past and present with its own lush and decorative language. A word that jumps out to me when trying to describe Flores and Pratt's work is analog. Many of their published drawings are done by hand, and in this kind of beautiful, almost antique way with stylized handwritten titles and layers of sketches often built up on a single sheet. It was so funny to me that after our conversation, as Ricardo and Eva were getting ready to leave for a dinner, they pulled out a physical map of London, hunched over it together, and ran their fingers along streets to find their destination. Further proof that these architects are really analog to the core. I spoke with Ricardo and Eva in London back in June of 2022 at One Old Street Yard. I was lucky to catch them while they were in town to install their work at the Royal Academy Summer Show, which, by the way, runs until the 21st of August. In our conversation, we focus on the Salah Beckett, as well as the social housing project Building 111, also in Barcelona, to tease out the themes and motivations that drive Flores and Pratz's work. All right, so here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it. I mean, I've never been to the Salah Beckett project. I've only encountered it through images when it was first completed. And then more recently through this book that we have here, um, just on the Salah Beckett, uh, which is a series of essays and accompanying images and architectural drawings. And, I mean, I read through the whole thing and I had this surreal experience um, that I was dreaming the whole time I was reading it. And it was quite... <laughs> <laughs> because um, I kept passing through these different phases of the building or different incarnations of the building simultaneously. So the first is obviously the building as a historical artifact, as this co-op, you know, that had the grocery store on the ground floor and where there were pool halls, and there was actually a pool as well, um, and then a communal space on the upper floor. And then we have the dereliction of the building, that 30-year period you're describing, where the elements crept in and the whole thing was left to decay. And then we have the, the concurrent incarnation of the building where you start to see these layers of past and present correspond with each other to produce what is this new theater. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, even though my encounter of the project was only really through this book, um, it felt incredibly immersive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and maybe part of that is because of how scrupulously rendered the whole thing is. People might not appreciate, actually, just how much detail and energy has gone into representing, first of all, what was there. Everything from the doors to the windows mm -hmm. to the door handles mm -hmm. to 
the floor tiles and the patterns on the floor tiles. Everything is immaculately reproduced in architectural drawings by yourselves and, and your colleagues. And when I saw that, I was shocked. <laughs> I was, Why? I, I think I was shocked, first of all, by um, the effort, the sheer labor that mm -hmm. I had imagined would be involved in producing a kind of index of parts of a building like this. But then I think I was, sh I was shocked and surprised by how close, as architects, we can actually get to an existing building in a way that starts to bestow value on it. Mm -hmm. I wondered if you could tell me a little more about mm -hmm. the, this process of analysis yeah. you undertook through drawing the existing mm -hmm. building. Yeah. Well, because we, probably because we found it in this uh, ruined moment, you know, that we thought that we could lose, lose it. So we thought, okay, let's try to identify everything that has a value there. Also because in the, in the local history of Barcelona, the Barcelona uh, expand when the walls uh, can be torn down, because it's a very uh, closed city, super dense inside the walls. When they had the permission, the citizens, to turn down the walls, it expanded in 50 years immensely. The grid grew super quickly because the city really wanted to, and there was a lot of industry going on in textiles. So, there was this uh, capacity to absorb new people. So what happens is that in like in about it's maybe around yeah, 60 years that the, the grid gets built, uh, a big portion of it, with the similar materi materials, mm -hmm. using in the floors mm -hmm. and the kind of doors, massive doors, but done by carpenters who knew about geometry, who knew about making some little drawing in the doors. So there was a, a good culture in all this craftsmen. Ship. But it's so common in Barcelona that even today, in renovation of apartments or old houses, all these things get thrown away. Mm. And you find these value elements in the street. And mm. we, you see them. And, and sometimes we take pictures of it. We have a collection of it. We don't know what we will do with it. But So that was probably the first reaction. We thought, this, this is a great material. We don't want to lose it. We know builders are not for this, uh, are not usually interested in this. So we dedicate this inventory that was like 100 A1 documents of one door with all its detail, with the module that links the, makes the joint between the wood and the plaster, not to see the pl everything for him to understand, uh, for the builder to understand that he had to take out these elements carefully because the new distribution, the occupancy by the theater people was going to be different, was mm -hmm. going to change the circulation. So, and so we inventory all the windows, doors, tiles, decoration elements, everything. Mm -hmm. And we handle this to the builder, the first meeting we had with him. We told him, look, this is a treasure. And we, and it was, we knew that it was not going to be understood easily because this is material that it's, still kind of forgot, no? not, not mm. appreciated. But I think it's because it's so common. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so rich, the city, in a There's way. There's an embarrassment of riches. Mm. No, but we, it's like you don't see it, no? kind of water hole. Mm. But also, I think one thing you mentioned, the, <clears throat> the meticulous way of drawing or, or you know, collecting all this information is, was crucial also to learn to get close to this, this, this construction or this building culture that we were inheriting. Uh, all these, the ways, of, the ways of, of drawing um, the patterns in the tiles, the way they were turned in the corner, you know, the tiles, they were like carpets in the room. So you always have a band at the end, an edge band in a neutral color to, to, you know, to adjust this carpet with the room, with the doors. And then besides this neutral band, there was a, a kind of a perimetral band of the carpet, like a real carpet with another. So all this, this, this uh, delicacy, mm -hmm. uh, but done in, in an industrial way, because as Eva said, it was a moment where the city expanded very fast. So it was an industrial construction, but it were very delicate patterns and the way the doors were done and the, the ceilings with the roses, etc. Um, it was a very valuable uh, culture, but then if you get close to it and you learn how it was done and how they, they would 
the sizes of the windows, the partitions, the lattice and all mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. then you could, uh, you could use them again. And if you had to modify them, you had the scale of the things. For us, it's very important, as, uh, you, as you know, as an architect, it's very important to get into the scale of the things when you are doing reuse, mm-hmm. the scale of a building, the scale of a, a urban piece, the scale of a house, the scale of a room, the scale of the lattice, everything has, is a question of scale and proportion. So when you touch it, if you, if you have to modify, you adapt or extend or, or uh, do a new piece nearby, how are you going to, to deal with it? How are you going to, to connect with that piece? If you have drawn very carefully before what exists, then your hand has already the scale. doesn't mean that you will reproduce, but, but you can work in, a propor- in proportions that will not... Uh, stand out from the existing, no? Mm. Mm. So, mm. when you talk about understanding these historic traditions, it also reminds me of this historic figure who has come up, I think, in conversations around your work, who I think you've mentioned as well, Joseph Maria Jujol, mm-hmm. which is a person who, I mean, he was an employee of um, Gaudi, Gaudi yeah. and a protege of Gaudi's as well, but lesser known, I think. Um, historically. And yet his process or his affection for, um, in a way, spolia or uh, overlooked um, artifacts or architectural building materials and the reuse of these materials seems to speak quite directly to the Mm -hmm. kind of work you do. And I just wondered if you could tell me more about Jujol and his significance to the way you think about architecture. Well, for us, I mean, Jujol is this person that teaches you how everything you find can be useful again and can be reused, even if it, the more, I mean, even if it was used before many times, then it has the value of the use. Sometimes it doesn't have the economical value, but it has the value of the history of people have been touching it and using it before. When you bring the things with you uh, to, the, to, the, to the time now, you're bringing this history with it. So the materials bring the history and the time with themselves. So reusing things for him was also bringing all the history to the, to the actual time and adding you know, to the new program. This is the way, the way uh, he uses everything and, and he has this capacity, but also the capacity of articulating things so that you don't see them individually again. You see them in the, in the head of the new designer, which mm. is now today. And this is very important because in a way for us to use ruin or to, to use a, 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 a disused building, in a way you need to touch it and to, to respect, respect it, but then bring it to an actual moment to add the new use, a new program, which might sometimes need some transformation. Sometimes you need an entrance of light to make it revive again or, re, or react again, or etc. So in that sense, it's, it's, an act, it's, a, it's acting with the things that you find in a, yeah, in, in a very... Um, uh, in, in you know with the right to transform it no? with the right of to yeah, yeah to inherit something. it and you mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah to to make sure that it will be in a way inherit and salivated people will take care of it you have to adjust it to them mm-hmm. and then so you have to modify the building a lot mm-hmm. it's true that Jujol uh, um, was he was able to work with uh, iron and paint walls so he was really sometimes involved directly in in painting the walls of some of his buildings mm-hmm. or turning some iron pieces mm-hmm. with the, or with a smithman so he was really uh, working you know, directly mm-hmm. without this distance he was very um close to the construction mm-hmm. and his pieces are very poetic mm-hmm. also because they are so um discarded things we say not things that you will uh, no no uh, retire and also he worked a lot on the land of Tarragona on the landfill close to the peasants. So um, on the, the land culture, you know, reuse is completely embedded. You know, things, they always are, have another use. You know, when you say land culture, do you mean? With peasants. He worked peas- with uh, people who cultivated the, the land. Oh, okay. He peasants, worked for them peasants. to build some churches mm-hmm. or houses. So even they were giving him some of their tools and mm-hmm. he will make lamps or a fence with them or mm-hmm. so but it was very much in the tradition because sometimes in the countryside no when a real a house from a land worker you find you no know, mattress being the fences for the chicken this kind of things 
So these kind of things is what Jujol was very interested in, and his work is very much connected with this uh, uh, radical reuse that mm. happens in, in country houses. Mm. It's interesting that you started really practicing in this moment of economic downturn. I mean, you, you established actually in the late, or mid-90s? Late 90s? Uh, late 90s, yes. But um, uh, these kinds of projects, Salad Bucket, mm. are reflective of an economy in a certain amount of distress. I mean, mm. certainly the budget was cut from, what, uh -huh. eight million to two and a half, yeah. yes. or even lower than it climbed back up. Mm -hmm. um, but um, when you talk about making do or this kind of influence of the, the peasant attitude on the kind of architecture you produced, especially with Salah Beckett, there's still a real sense of decadence mm. in mm. The, the visual display and the kind of ornamentation um, and color and form, it's all there and it's all like fireworks. Um, but it's in a way, I don't know if cheap is the right word, but it's certainly um, done without um, um, significant expense. Well, yeah, we, we had a very, very restricted budget to make all these 3,000 kilometers. And uh, with this, you know, there's, there is not a pure, uh, apparent in the final result, but there's a, lo a lot of structural reinforcement to the building and acoustic reinforcements and things that uh, con con yeah, consume a lot of money. So when you, at the end, what you have for, for the what is visible is very low. At the same time, one thing that we were always admiring of Jujol is how um, he, the words he creates are never expressing the effort of the technical effort which is behind. Mm -hmm. So when you always you visit those places, is always a kind of a dream or a place that has this delicacy and this beauty, very, very fragile beauty of, of very simple things that are held together. Mm -hmm. And you never see the enormous effort which is behind, the technical effort. And then we thought at Salabeket, uh, the, the cooperative building we inherited, if something was really precious there or beautiful there was the, this, this ruin on this, this time accumulated, which is so fragile and easy to eliminate. And so we thought if we make evident all the installations of tubes or all the technical the things for the theater, etc., we will lose all that. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, usual was an inspiration in sense the experience of the experience in the building should be something that uh, in a way makes you look at the walls and 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 being able that your you project your own memories on it you project uh, your your childhood or your memories in, in when you see a tile a window or this kind of glass or this kind of painting etc each one has a personal experience because you will remind me, you will have a, you remember something from your grandmother's house and I will remember something from another place and etc. So each one visiting the place is having this kind of... So all these other techniques that have been happening there mm. should disappear. Mm -hmm. And this, in this sense, Jujol is, is, uh, is so, such an incredible master because you never see um, what happened to make this this kind of heaven happening there. Mm. It's so interesting. Usually when we talk about adaptive reuse, we talk about efficiency. We talk about energy and embodied carbon. We talk about all the metrics, the measurable mm. um, data that can support the decision to keep a building. Mm. And I'm conscious that that rhetoric and reality of measuring a building's performance in that way is totally absent from the way you talk about reuse, mm -hmm. which is on a much more intuitive, emotional, and expressive mm -hmm. level. I mean, is that a conscious um, turn away from the more kind of positivist, scientifically framed argument mm. for adaptive reuse, or, or is it simply it's you're the just way not we interested? Understand it. No, it's the way they I think it's not so long ago, no? I think in the time of our grandparents, uh, reuse was there, was the way of the economy. You know? It's lately that we have lost this, um, the importance no? of keeping the watch from your father, or the, all these kind of things that was very much in the culture of, I, I remember my grandparents, 
very uh, people of a lot of reuse of paper and then going to the market with uh, a wrap of uh, that has a pattern of squares that is very typical in Catalonia. Mm-hmm. That you go to the market with it, not using plastic bags. This kind of so kind of the Japanese wrapping thing. Mm. So beautiful things that have been lost. So it's not so far away. So we all have this. Uh, Ricardo and I have been living in the countryside for a while. So it's not. It's something that kind of came. Uh, um, it was in our natural. It was in our culture, family culture, but also with the clients. When we are, when we get the commission of Salabiket, we have gone through other clients that have opened our eyes to the existing buildings, mm-hmm. in the way they explain us how they wanted to use it, that they make no difference between new and old or mm-hmm. whatever. It was like, here, this is an office. We will reuse it. We have enough space for storage here, whatever. And they didn't want to throw things away. So people that already had this culture mm-hmm. and also some artists that also show us how to look at the ruins that's already there, being ready for, for occupation. Mm-hmm. So people that had helped us also to have this culture that was not so far away from us, but that during studies with, of architecture was not present. Mm-hmm. All, all the exercises were in new buildings. Mm-hmm. But finally, you are out in the street and the majority, you know, 90% of our work is reused. And we have found very creative people in textile business or artists that have opened our eyes into, into how to reoccupy the building because they have such a familiarity with it. That's, that's kind of, so it's what Ricardo was saying, there is a moment that you have to know the building because they know it, but you don't know it. So drawing it, it's a very good way of that you, Ricardo explained very quickly, mm-hmm. very not very mm-hmm. clear, I think when you say, have to draw the building to make it ours. You know? When we mm-hmm. start, one of our first works was on a windmill in Mallorca. Mm-hmm. And so we have to draw it and it looks, we have, it's ours, you own it already. And then you start transforming it. Mm-hmm. And when you know it, it seems like you are, you get this little by little, this right, this right or this confidence. So, okay, let's open one door here. Let's close the other one. Let's make them use this great space that they have it here, but it was hidden or latent there, but not really mm-hmm. expressed. So how to make the building, how we understand the beauty of it to make it much more appear. And in this mm-hmm. sense, this one natural light has makes this beauty appear. So mm-hmm. a lot of our reused buildings have a very special light, natural light openings. Mm, yeah, I think I think also what we were asking in is I think the adaptive reuse when we talk about we are much more interested in in uh, in collecting all the 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 this invisible store this heritage which is has more to do with emotional heritage the social imprint that it, this building had in the place etc. and of course all these other technical aspects that you mentioned are there but uh, for us it's much more much more difficult to collect and bring to the to the actual condition all these memories this all these kind of these stories all these invisible you know nets mm-hmm. that have happened there that for for us is how to enrich the new use of the place all mm-hmm. these all these other technical things yeah you you give them for granted you have to act on them but for us, it's much more challenging, mm. and the much more the much more m- moving thing, or yeah, to, mm. for us is how to collect all these other stories, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, these uh, numbers. The, the social yeah. condition of the of the building, no? And there's such a, a kind of direct relationship to the program of the theater here mm. when we talk about stories and storytelling mm. and imagination. And I think when I said I felt like I was dreaming when I was reading this book. That state of mind is so conducive to being a spectator. Hmm. And there, there's this insight that I think the director of the theater, Tony Caceres, mm-hmm. shared about how the audience is primed to receive mm-hmm. the theater when they walk into the building. Because mm-hmm. there's evidence everywhere mm-hmm. of past lives or past occasions mm-hmm. or past moments that have played out that require mm-hmm. um, a lot of imagination to complete. And yet, um, there's a sense of joy and intrigue and curiosity there that maybe would be less the case with a brand new building altogether. Right. For sure. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. it was it's the theater people, but also was the former cooperativists that still live in the area, mm. that when the Salamaket opened, they get into the new bar that mm. now is in the street uh, angle. Before it was in the first level, now it's in the street level, mm. the angle in the corner of the building. 
And they get there, you know, they start playing cards, Scrabble. Scrabble. They were like the first day opening of the bar. Mm. <laughs> it was like they were thinking, now finally, you reopen. Uh-huh. No, it was it was their place. Uh-huh. And it was so good, suddenly. So they yeah, had a lot of memories. Could, yeah. They came back mm. and it was their place. Then suddenly also there were few other people around, but everyone is at home. And it that was very nice to, yeah. to work with this social anchor that the building had. Mm-hmm. This was so important. And Tony Casares knew it, and for us it's completely new. The emotional links mm-hmm. with the building, for us is the most important. It's what, yeah. And also, to, yeah, it has a, it's a building with no, you know, um, it's not no, pretend, no pretentious in the sense of no, uh, it's welcoming everyone. And in that sense, um, it's whatever says is very clear because Everyone feels, yeah, at ho- yeah. Even if you are from the theater world or from a, na- if you're a neighbor, you don't know nothing about theater. You're not interested in theater, but the, you are. You like the omelette that is in that bar, which is very good. You enter to the bar and you're there. So yeah. everyone feels. But one one interesting thing that also happens with the ruins or with the you know with the state of the building when it's which is open. Let's say this unfinished condition of the ruin mm-hmm. allows everyone to feel at home because, um, be, yeah, you know, the, the ruin has this kind of capacity of engaging with you. You you easily feel like you remember something in your past, and that's uh, was a way that everyone, students and and playwrights and public, etc. feel they, they they go there and they think that the building was was like that uh, before. And the building was not, I mean, it was everything happened there. We put it upside down, everything, etc. But But because the um, the condition of the walls and many things and everything was reused and it's still there, people feel like they was like that and they feel at home and they go. And that's very good for us that the architect is not present in the, in the touching of the thing, but the building looks like if it was always there like that. And for that, you need an enormous effort to make it happen like, like if nothing had happened there. I just need to, at this point, acknowledge this insane video you made called, is it 44 Doors and Windows? <laughs> ah, yes. I think everyone who's listening needs to watch this video if they haven't already, because it's describing the, first of all, the kind of inventory of these doors and windows in the existing building, and then their migration into the new proposal. And this kind of almost like Busby Berkeley style <laughs> um, theatrical performance or a choreography as they all kind of march on to their new locations. So there's this really subtle but incredibly labor-intensive recomposing of the building using a lot of its existing components. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could follow that tangent, but I think what's more interesting at this point is to talk about the ways in which the theater itself um, is kind of infused throughout the building mm-hmm. and all of its public spaces as well. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that you explained in a drawing, an axe of the building that you called theater everywhere in the building. <laughs> yeah. But I think the, the way I want to arrive at that kind of drawing is through um, an experience that you both had attending another theater. This was in Paris. Theater de Boeuf de Nord? Yes, right here. It's, it's Peter Brook's theater. Yes. And so when I found out about this, I, was, uh, I had this uncanny sensation because I'd interviewed another architect recently, Carla Yasaba, mm-hmm. who herself, I think, is doing um, research on Peter Brook and is mm-hmm. um, equally captivated by him and his work. Mm-hmm. And I want to learn more about this director and why he's been so influential to architects like yourselves. I know that in the intermission of this play that you saw, you actually measured the theater that he had a hand in designing. The, the seats, mm-hmm. and the, yeah, that we were interested because the audience and, um, and the actors are very close. They took out, in Le Bouf du Nord, they took out the stage that might have been one, like one meter higher than the um, floor, no? of the, the seats on the floor. So the actors and the public is in the same, sharing the same floor. Mm. And then, yeah, we wanted to, to measure it. Also because he reused an existing theater from 18th century, and that was going to be demolished. 
and we thought it was a kind of similar like when we were reading the book it's a book this book is not by Peter Brook it's the, by Andrew Todd and the uh, sonographer uh, oh, John it's called the open circle and it's beautiful and they, they explain this place that they found for Peter Brook and John Gillikad was working with him adapting the theater and it's beautiful adaptation that he made and through him we could stay in the theater between one play and the other and measure and it was such a place it was beautiful and the theater there was a play by uh, Peter Brook called The Suit and the mm. actors were uh, mm. it was really beautiful uh, the whole thing no? the theater but then when the play mm. stops, people stay in the theater a lot. They don't disappear. In, in the, the stage, in, in the place where the actor have been, you know, mm. because the audience, the audience yeah. because it's, it's, it's like a nice. yeah, it's like it's like a, you know, you have the seats there and you have the stage, which is an ex- is a floor extending over there in front of you. So when the actors disappear, mm. everyone stands up and they start to talk and they look around and even they go because it's it's a very it's a, it's a, it's a very room. intimate. Mm. Room. It's not black. Mm. Is the red and some colors of the old colors. So also this was an interesting issue. And I remember when we phoned, because it was a common friend, so we called Jangilekat on the phone and he answered and said, but who are you? So my, uh, one of these architects that paints everything in black. And we said, no, no, we have not painted anything yet. <laughs> We're yet. just starting and we'll... <laughs> We think this theater in, in Paris will be great to, for us to visit. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the things that that this this Peter Brook uh, theater teaches you is that um, the experience of of going to the theater is not is is like uh, being together. It's in community, being in community, uh, seeing the play together, laughing together, crying together, and being in a room with the actors and yourselves in a in a community mm-hmm. and um, and the room is 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 paint is the building itself doesn't need to disappear in black is the room with the colors with the original colors and everyone has the abstraction to see the actors you don't need to paint it in black to abstract yourself and see the scene so um, returning to your your comment on the drawing the drawing explains that that the the the, the, the salas in in Salabek, the two theaters and the spaces common spaces are the same is the same is the same experience going to the theater is not getting into a room that then you suddenly forget about the world going to the theater is meeting your friend in the ticket box in the sofa going to the bar have a beer or a coffee and waiting anxious to start and then you get into the room you meet the actors and everything is a continuity mm-hmm. when we say the theater all around is because we think that all the the, the whole building in the whole building the, the theater have experienced exploded and have occupied all the building all of it not just the two theater spaces but all the the vestibule the staircases the the bar etc all is theater all is an opportunity to meet and to experience that and Mm -hmm. uh, so so we thought um, that the whole the whole common spaces should give this opportunity of meeting, of eye contact and meeting someone and all that. And even the nice thing mm. of Salavik is that there is this bar that also Le Bouf du Nord has a bar, a small mm. bar, cafe. but then cafe. And then the actors, they appear later no? and they are full of energy after the play and the things have been good. So they, you, talk, you can talk with them mm. and mm-hmm. they, they react, they are happy. Usually they are very happy to mm-hmm. interact. So there's no hierarchy or no... Kind of a distance between the the actors and the public, and so it's not um, they don't you don't feel uh, like uh, overwhelmed, but you it's a it's a place that is really waiting for everyone as individuals. You no, know, you can be there alone or in group, and you feel really uh, like a home mm-hmm. of the of the playwrights. There's this beautiful short film that you made. It's a stop motion film mm-hmm. that speculates about the experience of different kinds of spectators in the building, whether it's a member of the public, whether it's an actor or a stagehand or uh, an office worker. Mm. And there's a kind of restlessness and um, glee, (laughs) glee, Glee, just a total delight, Uh, almost like a childlike delight. Mm -hmm. Um, It reminds me a bit of the films of uh, Wes Anderson. Anderson. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of the films of Wes Anderson. Mm. Um, but also, maybe, almost kind of cartoon or a children's program or something, mm-hmm. that there's a naivete there. Mm-hmm. That, um, again, the theater director himself, Tony Caceres, has pointed out 
where he's described you yourselves as children um, uh, that, who know how to play, <laughs> children who are about to make a theater. And I just want to understand where this method of representing your projects through film first took hold, how that became a way of summarizing in retrospect the projects that you've done, because you've done this for a number of, of, of uh, built projects mm -hmm. of yours. Yeah, I think uh, it all started in a very, you know, yeah. <laughs> in a very simple way. I think I remember once we both. It all started when we thought about how to organize our web page, <laughs> and it was it was a trip in in to Sydney, and we arrived there, and we had like two weeks to work with very young students, and they didn't know who we were, and uh, so uh, they were very, you know, they were trusting us, and okay, let's show the municipality, and you have to find a, 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 a place, okay. But so they, they asked us if we had a web page and we didn't have it. We never thought about having a web page. So when we came back and we thought, okay, let's think, let's think about it and how we can do a web page. Architecture, you have to visit it because of the, the, the space, the proportions. It's something that you have to walk through and you can have an idea about pictures. But what we can explain to these uh, Sydney students is how we work, how is our working space. So let's organize like a visit to the studio, that what happens when someone visits our studio, that we go through the rooms and in the rooms are pieces of models or drawing and you start explaining, yeah, this is the textile factory, we're in life, blah, blah, blah. And from one project you go to another one and it's very, and then you move through the corridor, let's show the view of the old town that we can see from our terrace. All these things will happen on the web page. And it happened to be that the students from UK sent us his curriculum and he had a stop motion in it. And we thought that is beautiful. And it was very, done very skilled, very nicely. So he came, he stayed with us for nine months and we proposed him, why do you think if we make the web page and then you, we explain you what the project is about and you make a film of it and then you animate the different drawings and models and documents because we work in a very physical way. We work a lot by hand, we produce a lot of models. So all, a lot of this stuff is on the walls or on the drawers. So it was like looking at it and putting active the archive. Mm -hmm. And Johnny Pugh that this week has been in Barcelona with us also filming the the project that we are working at the moment that mm -hmm. we in Brussels. By, yes in Brussels that by the case happens to be in the Royal Academy mm -hmm. exhibition. Mm -hmm. So he has no, been with well, us. One, one okay, interesting I, I move through the other will explain again. No, in no, one, no, 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 no. Only one uh, no you explain perfectly. No, the only thing I wanted to add is that the, the stop motion um, technique helped in this case very well to because you mentioned something I think what is I think is crucial which is the narrative of how do you what do you explain about the project mm. a real film uh, would go perhaps it would be more, much more difficult to mix all these different materials we work with and which is mm. a narrative what do you want to explain about the project many times is a, is, is a concept that is is not linear or is not f easy to film mm -hmm. but with all these other materials together pieces of drawing models, fragments of the construction site photos, the final con uh, condition photos, the original, etc. You, you make the, the trip mm. that you want to explain someone, this kind of little narrative, through mixing all these materials. So the, the, um, the, the, the stop motion helps, helps that to do that. And then we started to build these kind of little stories mm. of each of the projects. Mm -hmm. I mean, speaking of storytelling and what I see of as a kind of documentary project as well, you also produce um, more standard films as opposed to stop motion, one of which is a documentary of one of your projects post-occupancy or in use. And this is the... Meeting of the Building one. Or... Yeah, so the documentary is called Meeting of the Building. Meeting, Meeting, at, Meeting. The building. Yes. at the Building. And it's about building 111. It's a social housing project, yes. In, in Barcelona. In Barcelona. Okay. And there's a real tenderness um, in the kind of gaze that the camera fixes on its subjects, mm. in this case, the occupants of the building mm. itself. And there's an interview with one woman in, partic in particular named Magda, mm. um, which you highlight in some of your lectures. And Magda is first of all, kind of talking about um, how she likes to decorate her apartment, paint the wall. Um, and then she says that on the balcony, she doesn't feel lonely. And then it comes out that 
her partner, her husband, left her the year before with her son. Mm -hmm. And um, all of a sudden, I mean, it sounds maybe kind of saccharine the way I'm describing it now. But in watching her recount her experience in the way that essentially the life of the courtyard gave her a new set of friendships mm. and relationships, um, there was something incredibly moving about it. Mm -hmm. And you could almost sense in the way it was filmed as well that there's a real enthusiasm for witnessing these moments of deep social connection that in some way is fostered by the architecture itself. There's another great scene. First we see this teenager with his top off across the courtyard. And then the next moment we're in his apartment. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of um, teenage boys Boys. with their shirts off. I think they were just watching pornography or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... (laughs) And someone said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they turn on Call of Duty, I think, and start playing video games. And the camera is almost trembling with uh, delight, mm-hmm. again at seeing the building uh, in use. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of enthusiasm for occupation is rarer than you might expect still. Yeah, what happened in, in the 111 is, is, is 111 families living there, or houses. It's, uh, it was a big challenge, for, it was the biggest project we did, and in fact the, the biggest we did. Mm-hmm. And it was a big responsibility to make, because the social housing means that you have people from different backgrounds, social background, uh, religious, economical, etc., professional, from um, educational, and then you put them together to live together. So for us, it was not just to do 111 houses, but how to make something else with all these houses, how to make a unity or community out of that. And this big patio that we proposed, which was not given in the program, was always an unprogrammed part of the project. Um, for us is a place where they will meet and they will say hello or eventually they will uh, make a meeting in the patio and talk the, about their problems their joys etc uh, leave the, the kid because uh, I have to work tomorrow and especially could you keep my, my or go for for the, you know for the shopping etc mm-hmm. help each other so all this all this all this kind of social relations that started to happen when when you put them together and it starts to work on this this kind of things that you think that could be a help that you are giving a help to this housing is working uh, we thought we wanted to register that because it was for us this kind of extra, this kind of invisible thing that you are, it, it is appearing among the users mm-hmm. that you expected and you dreamed that would happen when you were drawing, but you never know if it will happen. Mm-hmm. So when Magda says, yeah, I don't feel alone, I had this very bad, you know, split with my, my, my partner, said I had very bad moments and then suddenly she feels that she can rely on the neighbors, even if she doesn't need them, she knows that she can go into the balcony and say, hey, and then she can count on them. Mm-hmm. This is very powerful in a way, mm-hmm. it's, it's like really be living in community. And just for listeners who might not understand what we're talking about. The residents even have this term for the kind of chatter that goes on in the, in the courtyard. They call it uh, radio patio. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the thing with, we, we made a, because we were so concerned of what has happened with this courtyard, that it really works uh-huh. and making these uh, connections uh, between them and they get to know each other. So we first we organized a, a workshop. We were working in a master program of housing. And then we said, okay, why don't we go do with the students, with the participants, already young architects, to this building and then make some interviews and see after one year of living there if these connections has been working, how they relate, what they think of the apartments that we propose. So we we had like maybe mm-hmm. 40 uh, interviews or something and then any kind of opinion. No, I mean, it was good for us uh, to read it. And then, so this happened and then we realized that there was some kind of community going on there and people was kind of curious of meeting the others and they were making some uh, bingo, no, it's called, some parties, lottery lottery in the courtyard in summer nights. So they invite us to to go there. Then we went there and then, yeah, it came the idea of making this film and we call, for this case, we didn't, we're not involved in the script and in the making. We just called some young uh, filmmakers that we knew in, in Barcelona, younger than us, and then we went with them in one of these summer 
and night uh, parties, parties. Mm-hmm. and we introduce them to the neighbors and we propose the neighbors you mind if they come here for one day or one and a half day and mm-hmm. see what's going on in the car oh yeah yeah yes you can come when which day okay let's think and then they organize among <laughs> them and they propose the filmmakers propose the the script mm-hmm. and they did it mm-hmm. and it was it was nice when we saw what they have decided and mm-hmm. yeah. i mean it's a beautiful short film and it puts me in mind of this book i'm sure most listeners will be familiar with, and it's by Georges Perec, The Vie de Mode Employ. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I heard that this is one of your favorite books. Oh, as well. well, it's one of our books, yes. Uh-huh. It's, yes good. It's, it's, uh, it's impressive, really. Somehow, yeah. when we listen to one afternoon of listening all the interviews that the students have been, the young mm. architects have been collecting, it was delirious. So something like what in this book, you think, mm. come on, what I'm reading. No, but it's so curiosity. Right. This and, is so interesting because. Yeah. Um, it kind of brings us back to this relationship you have with built matter, mm. with material culture, um, with artifacts and things in general, where if we're looking again at Salah Beckett, to most people, the objects in the building, the surfaces of the building, the fixtures of the building would be deemed ordinary and worthless. Mm-hmm. And to you, um, through this kind of intense scrutiny, and representation through these very detailed drawings, this close looking at these things, they take on a profound expressive potential. But it's that same sensation I had when I see the scrutiny with which you bring to the narratives of this housing complex, the individuals in them. Whereas again, it could feel like radio, it could feel like background and kind of useless information. But in a way, the closer you look, the more important it becomes, the more critical it becomes, the more value it takes on. And you mentioned that these kinds of films you produce, they are a kind of drawing. They are an act of drawing in a way. Mm. And it looks like in the teaching that you've done more recently, you encourage your students to work in this mode, thinking of filmmaking as a kind of architectural drawing. I wondered if you could talk more about that process of observation, which just to just to kind of frame it, you've referred to in various ways, but there's this term observational cartography, which has come up, mm-hmm. maybe in tangent to this filmmaking question. Yeah, we give names to, to the different documents that we ask students. Usually, yeah, the, the courses we make, they develop, the, the, the whole team on the, in the studio goes producing different kind of documents and they kind of advance in the same we want them to go through the different reflections in the stimulant rhythm and uh, so that they can compare among them and really yes, know what's going on in the others ones mm-hmm. so we draw by hand so the public is very the, the work is very public it's on the table so as you enter into the studio you see everything it's like a market you know mm-hmm. you see you know the best apples over there or the you know, very interesting strawberries so these things, we really like the atmosphere of having you know, 25 people, young people, drawing something mm-hmm. and that everyone can participate. So observation doc- uh, cartography was the name of an exercise we did at the very beginning to know about the evolution of the site of the city that they are working on. And then at, because we, during the process, we produce so many drawings or models and physical things that help us to move forward. And there is a moment that we thought to work with it. And we all ask uh, Johnny Pugh, that it's now an architect, no? the, the student that made started our web, um, to help us in this moment. And, and so he gives the students some clues on how to make all the documents that he have, have been produce, producing to um, make them explain some quality of the project. They think it's not so fully expressed, so they can animate them with people, or they just show the evolution. But we ask them to make a concrete uh, quality of the project, how they can explain it mm. through the film. Mm. But um, we always think that when you want you have you want to explain something, sometimes it's a model that will explain it, sometimes it's a drawing, and sometimes it's a film. And these films that we ask the, the students is like to ask them to kind of to reflect and to reuse the material that they have been doing, mm. to rescue the drawings from the very beginning, and go through them again by the end of the the semester. Mm. and make them uh, yeah, alive or make mm. them explain more clearly some quality or even they discover something that was done more intuitively but it's uh, 
Yeah. Also, is a way I think is backwards now and reflect all your I, I work. think these films many times activate more or ask more. They document. Uh, you, 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 they ask them to to be more, uh, explain more things because sometimes a drawing is is a beautiful axonometrical drawing, etc. But uh, then you can activate it more with uh, mm. you know with putting people on it and make it making it move, and then you you explain. You make it do. You you use it more times the, the same document. You know, it's not just a drawing, but now it's an animated drawing. It's something you you activated more. So how to activate all these drawings that you've been producing and models, putting them in a narrative that explains something else that the drawings by themselves alone are not able to explain of the of the building of the project mm -hmm. so how to use them all no mm -hmm. and, and combine them yeah, and to, yeah, to come back to these documents you know, because we really think that architecture is also an exercise of uh, resistance resistance you say no mm -hmm. i mean you, you you have to come back to your ideas no then this the ideas are in these documents and your proposal is in these drawings you have to come back to them and Try to look at them again, and you have to critic to be critic with yourself. That's why you no know, clients and other collaborators helps you so much. So yeah, I think we think it's it's good for them to revisit the documentation mm -hmm. before finishing the semester. Because this, this film thing is right at the end when they've been producing mm -hmm. a whole semester of of drawings and models and mm -hmm. yeah, different kind of documents. Mm -hmm. yeah. I want to talk more about. We're almost done, by the way. I know this is going on a bit long, but I I want to talk more about. Um, this kind of internal resistance in a project, almost from a practical st standpoint for a moment, because as we were discussing before, there is this incredibly labor-intensive process of documenting and representing the building that you're working with, in the case of Salah Beckett, um, an intense amount, I can imagine, of time and energy and just producing this elaborate inventory of parts, um, the building as you found it, Um, I want to understand how, how you can actually do that as architects in a way that basically allows the business to stay afloat. Like I'm, because we're talking about filmmaking, which is a kind of art. And I think there's so much artistry involved in the level of care and attention that the practice brings to this kind of work. And so practically speaking, how do you do it? <laughs> Sometimes, I think sometimes the, the when we move through the through the projects, we try to keep the our studio small. We try to dedicate to few projects in a in a time so that we can be effective with them. And for us, being effective means that we can give the time to research through them, to work with the client a lot, and sometimes to revisit them because it's very important for us. Once it's built, what's the reaction? How it's accepted? What we will change no, in a while because it takes time to change your, your mind but mm -hmm. you, you 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 are able to look back at the things and think okay maybe that so I think uh, it, this way that we kind of focus in small, uh, a few projects at a time we're able to to manage to give the time to them mm -hmm. to really enjoy them in a way and I mean it's not all joy but I mean mm -hmm. to really get into it so yeah, it was I think we can make it work by keeping the office small and mm. uh, concentrated in a few projects. But also, I think these other documents that you're talking about that are, for us, is are a way of advancing the, the ideas. It's not just, um, it's not just for joy or for that you make it, but it's a way of opening uh, the, the fields of research that the projects uh, can, can give you. So in a way, sometimes there are documents, of course, that you invent, nobody asked them for, but and, and sometimes they could look like, a, you know, capricious or something that you... But then that documents mm -hmm. are talking about the subject that you want to investigate or is opening to a discussion or if a dimension of the project that is very important and is not the program itself, but is uh, is feeding the the culture of it. So every project has a culture that is completed by the, the the drawings, the technical drawings, plus all the models that nobody asks you for, plus all the films and drawings and other things that are around you and help you to go forward. Because, as Eva said before, is very some of these of the projects that might take years and years. 
So how you keep on moving? What is what is really making you, giving you the joy of going ahead and going to the office and looking at, at the project with a new uh, joyful you know, eyes? And then many times these other documents are are so important to make to make you go. So you, if you if you are asking if you ask yourself uh, economically how you do yeah well we don't know but but they are as important as the practical drawings or the more you know construction drawings uh, the, all of them are are making the 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 the, 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 the are equal important for us everything is equal importance the inventory the films the construction drawings the everything is um, is in your head and it's kind of uh, all this is feeding you all the time and then that's why when you finish you cannot leave it so easily and then you go back and then you make the questions to the neighbors and then you make a film eventually uh, because it's like it's, it's for you it's a story that that continues no you don't you cannot cut and uh, and then it mixed with a new project and sometimes uh, you know um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that we help it. Uh, it helps us a lot of communicating what we are doing and because, engaging other and people. And engaging, because we, yeah, we because developing a project. You know, I mean, as architects, you develop a project that it's part of a bigger project that you are jumping in for a few years. Mm-hmm. So this connection with the with the people who is dealing this longer project, you know, being a collective housing project, a theater project. It's very important, and for this time that you are with them, you work with them a lot. You produce as an architect what you can do to kind of to display all the information, to keep adding things into the project. These two years that you are developing it. But also, it's true and, what you say that mm-hmm. there the, the is a lot of material which, in a way, allow other people to uh, jump from into. other disciplines mm-hmm. to, to to participate mm-hmm. because you you need uh, yeah of course the builders uh, with people which is not in your office. The, the client and the neighbors and etc. Mm-hmm. So many of these documents are engaging them in, and they show you. They show also that they are this kind of this joy, joyful condition of the project that and this enjoying the opportunity of doing things that has to be present. Not this optimism, and the films when they make you, you know uh, the spirit high. And then again, it's is is very positive because everyone gets into mm-hmm. the spirit okay. again. It's not just numbers and, pro- mm-hmm. and product. Making For a us. No, building, no, a building is such a it's you know it's a risky, it's dangerous economically. I mean, there is so much uh, risk involved. Mm. So at least I think you want to make sure that someone will take profit of it emotionally, not mm. only economically. So is uh, and it, that it will work. So that these all these tests is because of this doubt. Will it work? No. Will they like? Are they really understanding what we are proposing? And uh, mm. so and we work a lot of. Uh, following some intuitive works and so sometimes when it's finished then you realize when you were work, talking about Salabeget how much theater is in it then when after finishing it we were we had this confusion you know how much scenography you know the architecture is how <laughs> because it's not it's not temporary you know but the Salabeget theater make us uh, really aware of how much uh, you know, theater is in life and our life it's you know, very theatrical mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. so I'm so tempted to end it there. It's such a beautiful way to end. But I have one itching question I feel like I need to ask you. And it's about this kind of liberation that I feel you have when I look at your drawings, where any given plan, if we're talking about Sally Beckett, has this kind of fluidity to it and improvised nature and freedom that you rarely see, I think, in an architectural plan, Uh, especially now for some reason. There's something kind of, um, there's a vintage to it almost, the kind of flexibility that you're still able to bring to a contemporary project, let alone an adaptive reuse one. And it reminds me so much of Enrique Marias and the kind of freedom that's so evident, formally speaking, and 
visually speaking in a lot of the work that came out of his office. And I know you both work for Marias. And I mean, maybe this is a kind of tiring question or um, in a bit, in a way, a bit reductive to assume this kind of lineage. Mm. Um, but I'd be interested to know what you brought from Marias into your own practice, what you learned from working there. Yeah, well, I, I was a student then a lot of years, nine years mm. during my career. Uh, so university in the morning and in the afternoon working with Enrique and Karma and then with Enrique alone. And I found it great the way that they, what really kind of attract me is the geometry they use and the, the kind of clean drawings that they were making, that they were not making the walls in black and so everything was lined. So it was more like a writing or... But uh, then you work there and then you realize Enrique, even as a teacher, he was very pissed off if you mention a line. It was not, no, there's no lines, no? Where is the window? This is the door, this is a... So everything represents something. So you start being aware that you have the responsibility of building. And when you are doing these drawings, it's really, it's going to the construction site. And they were going to the construction site with, we were going with this beautiful uh, drawings that they were producing. And I liked the, the geometry, you know, I remember Carmen and Rick talking and the way they, you know, they were wanting the project to, to go, to move forward and the capacity of making things to articulate reality with uh, the existing, yeah, this capacity and the, the, the confidence that developing this uh, geometry and drawing and redrawing things until they get kind of uh, naturally one thing gets into another. Mm. I found this flexibility from the way of drawing with flexibility beautiful. Flexibility of mind. Flexibility of mind. And then open mm. project, you know, never the hurry for a solution. Yeah, well, that, that's, mm. that's the thing. You know, how, how the, um, yeah, the, we were really impressed and what we perhaps we brought with us is this um, um, uh, ch challenging or, can you say, this uh, effort you make so that they build, you, uh, you force this, you have always, you learn that you have to force the reality to, to, to make things happen. Uh, you never you never give up in, in trying to incorporate what, the, what you think the project might have. And then you always have to negotiate and force economical problems, of course, technical problems, programmatical problems. And then you are always there not to leave the project until you think really is full of all the joy and all the possibilities that it has. I was really always impressed in how in that office, Enrique in that office was always able to open a new book, even if it was in the last moment of the project or competition a real one to incorporate new things that he he realized that could become part of the project and enrich it so never fin never close your mind or never close a project until really even uh, until it's built even or you could even in the construction site we have this this consciousness with Eva that we go to the construction site and if we see things that can be better we we just say and we it's not that we don't care, but we we know that things can be really um, uh, can be really challenged. This the the limits of the reality to incorporate things if you think in new things that are improving them, uh, negotiating whatever is necessary. So this this um, never low down the level of exigence of your everyday life in the drawings or in the in the documents you make or in the construction. This is something that Enrique was. Uh, perhaps the great master for us, no? And, and then you always remember this, when you had these persons near you and seen in the everyday thousands of problems that you know how, but then how you face them with this optimism and capacity of thinking, I'm going to bring them over and we will overcross them and bring them to a, a fantastic future. Mm -hmm. Then this is what, in a way feels in your days and you, if you think like that and you think that you can do it well and no, nothing can stop you <laughs> <laughs> then in a way then, then, then you try mm -hmm. Ricardo and Eva thank you so much for your time thank you very much thank, thank you, you. Scaffold is an Architecture Foundation production I'm Matthew Blunderfield and I make the show the theme music is composed and performed by Luke Blair. Subscribe to Scaffold on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at scaffold underscore podcast. 
If you like the show, spread the word and leave a rating on iTunes while you're at it. Thanks to Flores and Prats. Thanks as always to Scandalin. And thanks to you for listening. I'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.